0: is renee mcmillan i am the owner and operator of the crowded bookshelf and today we are coming to you with another episode of speaking volumes books writing and the world of publishing Uh, i'm very excited today we have an author all the way from the uk rosie Wilby, who wrote this amazing book the breakup monologues Uh, she is going to be talking to us today about breakups if you couldn't guess but i promise (laughs) it will not be sad or depressing maybe a little sad or depressing um, but mostly funny and insightful Um, A little bit about Rosie. Uh, She is an award-winning comedian and accidental relationship guru. Um, In this book, she embarks on a quest to understand and conquer the psychology of heartbreak. Uh, She is also the author of Is Monogamy Dead, a book that followed her TED Talk of the same name. Wilby has appeared on BBC Radio 4 programs, such as Woman's Hour, Loose Ends, and The Human Zoo, and has appeared as a commentator on sexuality, dating, and love on TV programs, such as Good Morning Britain, and podcasts, including The Guilty Feminist. And she also presents her own podcast that shares the same name with her book. A bit about this book. In 2011, comedian Rosie Wilby was dumped by email, though she did feel a little better about it after correcting her excess spelling and punctuation. Obsessing about breakups ever since, she embarked on a quest to investigate, understand, and conquer the psychology of heartbreak. This book is a love letter to her breakups, a celebration of what they have taught her, peppered with anecdotes from illustrious friends and interviews with relationship therapists, scientists, and sociologists about spreading, separating in the modern age of ghosting, breadcrumbing, and conscious uncoupling. Rosie, thank you so much for being here.
1: Oh, hello. It's lovely to meet you.
0: Yeah, I always love, I'm I'm a big Anglophile, so I love any opportunity to work with an author in the UK. So <laughs> in addition to loving your book, I'm also just excited that I get to hear your lovely accent. Um, oh, thank yes. you. <laughs> So thanks so much for being here. Um, this is your latest book, uh, not quite out in the US. This is a pre-recorded event, everyone. Um, so it's still it's two weeks away. <laughs> i suppose it will be out
1: when people are watching this
0: yeah this that's the weird thing about recording events is we have to pretend we're in the future um because <laughs> of recording this it's not quite out yet but by the time you're watching this viewer uh it will be out um so yeah but i'm it's it's been getting a lot of great reviews in the uk so hopefully this event will encourage everyone to pick it up and it'll continue to do well here in the us so um I like to start my events kind of doing little like author icebreaker questions to get mm-hmm. you know, let people know you a little bit. Um so my first question, if you could have tea with uh three writers or comedians since you're both uh living or dead, who would they be?
1: Oh. <laughs> oh, I <my laughs> I didn't goodness. send you these
0: questions in the email did I? <laughs> you didn't. Know. You didn't warn me about this. Yeah, i know. terrible.
1: Uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. Um Comedians and uh, writers. Um, I think it would be uh, really interesting to meet Bill Hicks. Um, I've watched some of his old uh, DVDs and sets, which I just found really interesting because I'm interested in comedians that have something to say about the world and are a little bit edgy and provocative. Um, so, yeah, it would be really, really interesting. Uh, to meet him, I think. Um, uh yeah, wow. Um, writers, oh, it's oh, it's such. A,
0: if, it, if it's too hard, you don't have to. <laughs> no, no,
1: it's it's really it's so interesting. I mean, one of the comedians that I love, one of the other comedians that I love here in the UK um, and grew up watching, um, is called Eddie Izzard, um, <laughs> and I'm sure you know him in the US as oh, well. well.
0: Yes, yes.
1: Yeah, so I love Eddie and his very clever and interesting material. And maybe my other one would would also be a comedian. I mean, gosh, I do love writers as well, but I guess because I have been predominantly a comedian over the past decade, Mm -hmm. um, they're the people I've studied the most, and then I've kind of come to writing books because I've been writing comedy shows. Mm -hmm. But I think the other person would be um, one of our comedians who has sadly died Um, now but was such a an inspiration for so many female comics here in the UK and she was a British comedian called Victoria Wood Um, (laughs) who just had these incredible comedy songs and sketches and it was just very sort of real and down to earth I mean it it might be quite a British sort of humour um, that <laughs> wouldn't necessarily translate everywhere in the world, but right. certainly if you talk to any British female comedian, she might well mention Victoria Wood.
0: Yeah, all right. I'll have to look her up because, like, like I said, I'm a bit of an Anglophile, so I'm a big fan of the British humour, <laughs> so... <laughs> Um kind of uh kind of going off what you mentioned about Victoria she did you know songs and sketches and things like that um is there is there a style of comedy that you have maybe always been kind of curious to explore that you haven't yet or are you kind of you're like stand up is that's my wheelhouse I'm I'm good there
1: Yeah I enjoy stand up um it's interesting because people often ask me if I've tried or been interested to try musical comedy because I was a musician before I did comedy. I was a singer-songwriter, a more serious musician, and I had kind of quite downbeat, acoustic, wistful, romantic songs mm-hmm. about love gone wrong. Well, yeah. I guess maybe that was a precursor to the breakup monologues and the book that we have now. Um But, yeah, what I used to do in between those songs when my band broke up and I went solo, so effectively when there was a breakup in a professional sense, Mm -hmm. um, I started telling stories in between the songs to give the gigs a bit of fun and a bit of energy uh, because I was worried that, you know, a kind of woman (laughs) standing alone on the stage playing her acoustic guitar and singing Was um, something fairly common uh, in London at that time on the live music circuit. There were a lot of solo female acoustic artists with uh, quite wistful and slightly melancholic and mournful songs. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just thought actually doing some comedy would sort of punctuate the set a bit. And well, it wasn't even meant to be comedy really, but it was me being very self-deprecating and uh, telling the stories about what had inspired the songs. About relationships that had gone wrong and so on, and people <laughs> found those funny. Yeah. So in the end, I decided to enter some comedy competitions, and, and there we are. Comedy became became my thing, and um, yeah, in some ways, I mean, obviously, we've just had this global pandemic, and a lot of comedy clubs have not been open. But you know, comedy has been something that it's quite, it's quite accessible in a way. Like music gigs can be quite um, practically quite difficult to put on. You know, if you've got a whole band, if you've got a sound equipment, you've got to do a, a sound check. And Whereas comedy, you really can just rock up and, and talk and, and mm. say what you've got to say. Yeah. <laughs> so it can be kind of simple, which yeah. is is quite freeing in a way. I mean, I've even done gigs where there's no microphone, no PA system. It's just a small venue where you are just standing up and talking.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I feel like, well, I I know I've made this, you know, sort of passing comment where, you know, you're with a friend and you're just having this really great banter back and forth. And I think we've all had that thought. We're like, you're like, we should do stand up. Like we're hilarious. So like (laughs) you said, there's a kind of like, yeah, you just, go and do it you know it's no no complicated setup or anything you just you just do it so yeah
1: yeah why why not I mean the thing is it's it's interesting it is a different it's a bit of a different art when you actually start doing it regularly and professionally and turning up to venues where there's all kinds of different different types of audiences different types of people and cross sections of people and finding that material that has universal appeal is um you know, that that's quite interesting and challenging. I mean, I have performed a lot in the LGBT um, circuit and, and sort of to queer audiences. So it's quite interesting then to look at what is appealing to a particular audience, because it's very relatable. And you're sort of talking about life, you know, as maybe a bit of an outsider, and within a you know a slightly marginalized community, but then taking that you know to a much more mainstream gig and the parts that will be understandable and um accessible to to a broader audience because you still want to be authentic and talk about your own experience and actually represent a certain community yeah. um and paint a picture of of life as as a gay woman um or you know as a as a woman uh, in sort of midlife or you know all of these kind of things and be authentic to your experience but equally you want to try and appeal to <laughs> the people that are there and it can be such a range at some comedy nights but
0: yeah yeah yeah, yeah it becomes becomes much more of an art form for sure
1: yeah <laughs> yeah
0: all right well we are here to talk about and i'm just just going to show it off a bunch we're here to talk about this book Yay. the breakup monologues um And I mentioned in your, your introduction that you've kind of have this title of, well, you have a couple, you have, you know, accidental relationship guru is kind of in the marketing and then, um, queen of breakups is another one. How unusual titles, how did this kind of, you know, happen? Like you mentioned, you know, the breakup by email, which sounds horrible, but like, was that kind of the the only catalyst you're just like, I got to figure this out. Or was there kind of something else that stirred this interest in breakups and relationships?
1: Yeah, that, that was the main catalyst, the the breakup email. And obviously in the book I talk about how now that might be quite quaint because we have all these other behaviors like ghosting and breadcrumbing in this whole new language around these sort of behaviors that have been facilitated by dating apps and technology. Yeah. So um yeah, you know, that, that was one of the main catalysts was that um breakup email. But also, I just am one of those people that I think I have a, an inquiring mind and I like to understand things to be able to process them emotionally and deal with them. If I kind of understand the real psychology of why we actually feel physical, real pain, tangible pain after a breakup, then for me that that's quite comforting and I feel I can then feel less alone and deal with it and get through it if, if i sort of know it's normal <laughs> and right. it's just my brain withdrawing from a drug and doing what it is supposed to do to <laughs> to recover right. um so yes i i think i'm that kind of person who needs to understand things and in fact the breakup monologues book follows i think as you've mentioned the breakup monologues podcast and before that a trilogy of comedy shows all investigating the psychology of love and relationships which began with a show called the science of sex and mm-hmm. then the middle part of that was called is monogamy dead which became my first book right. and then the third part of it was a show all about my own breakout that then broadened out into the podcast and now the new book so yeah definitely there's been this kind of line of inquiry about how relationships worked which really stemmed from well not only that breakup email but the relationship that preceded that that had been quite a challenging relationship um which seemed sad in a way because it had been two people who had met and fallen in love and you know it had been lovely at some points uh, you know and I think many of us feel when we come to the end of something we think, but it was so great at the beginning, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I think understanding that journey, oh, sorry, there's just a siren <laughs> okay. in the background. That's the love police there.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> come to arrest us.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um I think it's just, um you know, I think it's comforting to understand that journey from, you know, something that seems amazing, like you've met your soulmate and you're going to be together forever. And then you come to this point where, you're perhaps growing in different directions, and you're not you know not able to be together anymore
0: yeah. yeah, and it i mean like you said trying trying to understand that transition of oh, it was so great and now we're not together anymore is it is very confusing so yeah trying to find some answers I can I can relate I'm that same kind of person where like I just want to understand and have you know a sort of logical context to put this in and that makes it a bit easier so yeah definitely Um, yeah well and that that actually makes me think of a question so I was listening to one of your podcasts and I think it was the travel one it was like travel in love ah, and um, yeah 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 and then something i think the guest you know mentioned was or maybe it was you it was mentioned was how kind of like the things that you imagined could happen in that relationship but never actually did were sometimes more painful to lose than like the memories that you did have together um, and that's something that I've always kind of struggled with. Like, is, is the things, you know, are the things that you said you were going to do with this person like, oh, one day we'll go do this or we'll go do that. And then things end before you get there. Sometimes those are almost more painful than, you know, oh, I miss making dinner with them every night or those kind of things. What's What's your kind of experience with that?
1: Yeah, I hadn't really thought of that. Um, um we haven't talked to a lot about that on the podcast, but maybe in that episode we talked about places you would want to have traveled with somebody and um you never got to have that adventure together, I suppose. Um I think um I think for many kind of women of of my kind of age, particularly gay women, there's definitely the sense of you know somebody might have talked about having children with, and that not being really something that was available yet. Um, I mean, certainly here in the UK, that's starting to be something that um, we our views about family and what what a family can be mm-hmm. are are really starting to develop and evolve and change. And we do see you know same sex couples having having children now. Mm-hmm. So. I think yes, um, things things like that that you might have done with somebody, like actually having a child, mm-hmm. that that can be something that you think about because, of course, maybe people do stay together sometimes if uh, if they've had children because that sort of changes the whole complexion of your commitment and your relationships. I'm not saying it's always still the right thing to stay together, but I mm-hmm. guess some people do if if they do have children.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a, that definitely puts a new dynamic on the, on the relationship, if that's the case. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so I have been making my way through, unfortunately I didn't get a chance to finish it, but there were (laughs) lots, you've talked, you talk about so many great things in this book. It was almost hard to come up with questions. Um, but one, (laughs) one I'm kind of personally curious in, you know, you're, you as the relationship guru here, um, you, you talk early in the book about, uh the lexicon of breakups and you know all like you said all these new terms that we have and things like that and i'm curious if you know after kind of doing all this research research and writing this book if you you sort of feel more for or against you know certain labels and words that we use like do you feel like sometimes using them is more harmful than if we just sort of tried to ignore them and you know focus on you know, the two people that are in that relationship are discussing their own terms. They're not trying to put a label on it that someone else has come up with. I'm curious about your, your feeling on that.
1: Yeah, I think um, labels for these new behaviors, generally, I don't really like because giving things cutesy fun names like ghosting, and breadcrumbing, and submarining and orbiting, <laughs> I mean, there's so many ridiculous, ridiculous names. I mean, submarining is when you ghost somebody and then you pop up again. Um, (laughs) um, I I kind of think it sort of legitimizes behaviors that often are not really that great, not really that ethical. And what's really interesting is Generally, in polls and surveys, if you ask people, "Have you ever dumped somebody by text, or have you ever ghosted somebody? Have you ever done this or that?" Um, people will say, "Yes, yes, I have." But then you say, "Would you like to be ghosted? You know, w- would you like to be on the receiving end of that?" And they go, "Oh no, no, I wouldn't want anyone to ghost me." So right. it's kind of interesting how we we haven't quite. Being able to flip things around and think about how the person feels that we are ghosting or disappearing on or dumping, breaking up with in a way that I guess, you know, 10, 20 years ago we might've thought was a little bit rude.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, no. You know, I, I don't know. I think, I think it's evolving. And obviously um, I think dating apps do facilitate meeting people, and they have lots of great qualities. I mean, they've been really, really liberating for the gay community to meet one another. It's kind of what's known as a thin market in dating because it's a smaller community. It's been really helpful for people to be able to, Meet one another, and you know, it's really normalized now for people to meet on a dating app, so it can be a really good thing, and it's helping a lot of people, you know, to not be lonely and to find a partner. Mm -hmm. But then again, it is facilitating these other behaviors where people are just kind of swiping, swiping right, and it's you know, it's sort of like a game. A lot of dating experts will talk about the gamification of dating Mm -hmm. because it just comes. a a bit like a game where people are disposable which (laughs) you know that that may be fine on on the one hand but then if you're the person who who is disposable and you've met somebody you really like and they're just you know gonna disappear then how do you actually feel about that
0: yeah I've never yeah I've never thought about it as yeah kind of a, a game you know you you're you're looking at these real people but yeah in your head you've turned them into just you know yeah disposable pieces avatars
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah, that's 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 not good that doesn't sound good to me um (laughs) yeah yeah well um you mentioned something that tied in with another question of mine that i can't find oh um i wanted to talk about communication because i feel like well you know like you said all these behaviors and things that were kind of developing are i would say certainly are caused by you know these dating apps and things like that it's kind of you know like user error like we're making bad decisions and doing this and do you do you feel like that maybe comes from just you know kind of lacks of learning or teaching in other areas of our life you know like how we're very bad at communicating honestly especially with people that care about us you know is that just because you know, we don't prioritize that in our society, or is, is it something else?
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. One of the fascinating academic experts I talk to in the book is a neuroethicist who actually splits his time between the U.S. and the U.K. and he's called Brian Up, and he's connected to Yale University. and He is looking at the ethics of whether, in the future, we might be able to take love drugs and anti-love drugs which would either help us to stay in a relationship or help us over the trauma of a breakup potentially we, all, we are almost talking about a kind of real life eternal sunshine of the spotless mind oh, right. if you can yeah. imagine that yeah um, but one of the things he said to me that was really interesting is that we sort of in a way do need help with relationships we might almost need these chemical and interventions because we are so bad at relationships because Precisely because we haven't had this kind of module at school or college. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we haven't had training in how do you have good relationships? How do you communicate? How do you uh, develop emotional intelligence? How do you learn? How do you interpret someone's body language? Um, And whether they're looking you in the eye. And how do you tell when someone's not being completely honest with you? You know, I I, I didn't learn any of these things at, at school. Right.
0: Yeah, that's very true. Did, I don't know if he, did he kind of tailor that specifically to romantic relationships or was this, did this kind of apply to, you know, friendships and family relationships?
1: Well, we we were having a conversation primarily about romantic relationships, but the book in general does broadly Talk about all types of relationships, Mm -hmm. friendship, breakups, and Mm -hmm. uh, professional breakups, our professional relationships play a big, big part in our lives. Sometimes they're the people we spend the most time with Mm because we work so hard these days. Um, So, yeah, I do look at those other types of breakups and how difficult they can be and how we almost have even less training Mm -hmm. in how to deal with those, even less of a social script. About how we're supposed to go and grieve
0: those. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I really did appreciate the fact that you put there was a chapter in there about friendship breakups. Because, you know, personally, I have gone through one that was, you know, like best friends since, you know, I was very young and now I haven't seen her in years. And they are almost more painful than romantic relationships
1: yeah so many people say that so yeah i I definitely wanted to put something in about that
0: Mm -hmm. yeah well i i definitely appreciated it because you know like like you said we don't really have that um that kind of understood grieving time after a friendship breakup like we do a romantic relationship even though it's just as important if not more important
1: yeah yeah Yeah. you're not allowed that kind of time off work or Mm. that uh Mm -hmm. you know your friends don't give you that kind of space you you, you don't have the sad songs that you can listen to that Mm -hmm. are like i miss my friend right yeah (laughs) we don't have that
0: that can Um, be can be your new album rosie you can go back and write a song (laughs) all about friendship breakup (laughs) (laughs) oh great um So something else, this is one of the last things I got to in the book. Um, There was a bit you were talking about how, I mean, you know, the idea of the one comes up a lot throughout the book and, you know, it's it's not an inherently flawed idea, but it's also not just a hundred percent, you know, it's not going to, it's not going to work out that way. And you talked about, you know, finding that one person that kind of, you know, puts all of your fractures back together and kind of help, helps you overcome all the things that have happened to you but you know but like you said it's like but there is still this person and you know i care about them and i love them so how how do you kind of you know how do we reconcile that idea of finding the one and you can still find like the one for you a person that you really connect with but they're still not going to be the only person that will help you, you know, heal or overcome certain things that have happened to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, the idea of the one, in inverted mm-hmm. commas, is <laughs> so um, misleading in a way. Um, and this was obviously something I looked at a great deal in my first book as well, is Monogamy Dead, which mm-hmm. kind of looked at this idea of, of lifelong monogamy and um, how, you know, socially, you know in many places around the world there is that expectation that, that we'll stay with one partner for life whereas the reality is that we have many many divorces and many people have more of a serial type of monogamy so actually monogamy comes from the greek meaning monos gamos one marriage for life but most yeah. of us have interpreted that as one marriage at a time yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and, you know, we do live, live much longer lives. So perhaps that is an explanation mm-hmm. uh, for that. Um, but also I think we place so much pressure, so much of a burden of expectation on our relationships because of this messaging, this coding that we have received, mm-hmm. that there is one. And it often makes us kind of discard good options, good relationships, because we think maybe they're not the one, but maybe they are a one, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe they're one of many possible potential partners you could make a relationship with. And there are people that I've talked to on the podcast who I quote in the book, um, a dating expert here called Nikki Hodgson, who says that, um, you know, if you actually value a partnership and and a a great partnership, a companionship and, and a friendship and, you know, obviously, yes, that would have, attraction and and romantic love and erotic love are probably wrapped up as part of that too but if you value the partnership above all then you can probably make it work with a whole range of people Mm -hmm. not not just one magical soulmate who you meet and somehow just everything falls into place fireworks still going on (laughs) you know i mean i really love um there's a very realistic trilogy of films that uh, i'm sure you love over there as well uh, by Richard Linklater, before sunrise, before sunset and after midnight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, the two characters kind of, the film trilogy has kind of happened in real time because uh, on, in the first film they, they meet and they spend this wonderful romantic night together. And in the second film they, they meet again. And in the final film they are married and sort of bickering. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> you know, the, the sort of romance has worn off, but it's very real yeah um you know and they they are struggling with the fact that they had this incredible meeting and then this incredible kind of meeting again where they were both with other people but decided yes we we want to get together um and then (laughs) you know it feels less magical when you spent many many years with somebody when you've had children had a family or you have your home together and you're doing domestic chores and putting out the bins and negotiating yeah. housework and yeah. Yeah, all of these things that are not quite as exciting <laughs> yeah right.
0: yeah what what would you say kind of going back to you know the lexicon and labels and things what would you say is your kind of you know favorite word for two people that are together you know you have boyfriend girlfriend partner you know whatever what what term do you feel kind of captures you know your your ideal romantic relationship with someone
1: um yeah that's interesting um i don't know i quite quite like lava other but, you know, often I have used partner, even though a lot of people, I mean, obviously within the gay community, we often use partner because uh, here in the UK, we had civil partnerships before we had um, marriage for, for same-sex couples. Right. Um, so a lot of people use use partner but it can sound a bit businesslike like it's yeah. a business partner and there can mm-hmm. be confusion in that yeah. way yeah. um but i know um when i started to talk to people who were in kind of open relationships and polyamorous setups a lot of people use words like beloved there which is really nice
0: yeah it's pretty sweet yeah i'm i'm always curious about well, and this is maybe because it's kind of something I've been dealing with myself lately, but but I think I kind of mentioned it before, too, how, you know, a label that someone else has created and, you know, the kind of definition that goes with that label. I wonder somehow or, you know, if that sometimes affects how people view the relationship that they're in, like based on looking at that label. Um, so, you know, like you might yeah call someone your girlfriend and your brain kind of immediately goes to, oh, okay, well, I'm their girlfriend. So now I have to do this and this, and this is expected of me. And, you know, then they maybe get caught up in the label and the idea of the label, and they don't just actually talk to that person about, you know, how are we doing this? So that's always a very, you know, interesting thing for me to think about and wonder how it affects people.
1: Yeah, I think at a certain age, boyfriend and girlfriend starts to sound a bit... (laughs) A
0: little, yeah, a little juvenile. <laughs> yeah. It's rather cute. go it's to really partner. Cute
1: When yeah. you're in your when you're in your twenties and,
0: and right. so on. But Yeah. <laughs> yeah, should yeah. be um, the thirty threshold and less so. Yeah,
1: maybe it's changing a bit by then. But I mean it's exciting for me because I guess um I can say my fiance now because the oh. the happy ending with um this book is that my girlfriend and I have got engaged. Yay. Um and this happens just after the, the story finishes in the mm. book. So, um, yeah, I think there is a positive note to my book about breakups because it's all about how we learn from our breakups and how they can be an opportunity. Mm. And we can sort of harness something from them, a sort of energy, a kind of growth and, and learning because we are then able to make better partner choices and able to communicate better in our future relationships, because we start to process and understand what didn't quite work out Mm -hmm. (laughs) before.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely a very good, a good learning, you know, sort of self-reflecting opportunity to, you know, because I think, I think some people, and in certain cases, I'm sure they're absolutely right. But they might, you know, (laughs) go through a breakup, and they look at their partner, and they think, oh, like, well, you screwed up, and you did this, or you didn't do that. And you have to kind of remind yourself, well, you have to look at yourself too and what you did or didn't do. So yeah. 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 Do you think this book, writing this book, really helped you kind of, you know, well, I mean, obviously you're getting married, so that's great. But did it do you think it really very clearly helped you kind of, you know? Can't think of the word I want. <laughs> I think it begins with an A. Um Well, did, you know, did writing it help you kind of see your own behavior patterns and kind of give you a better understanding of how you, you know, are in your romantic relationships?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Yes, it helped me really, yes, really appreciate um, what, you know, what I'd been bad at, what I'd been bad at communicating about. And I think even though I'm in a monogamous relationship, actually investigating polyamory and open relationships for my first book Mm -hmm. and talking to people who were in different types of relationship setups that really required very very grown-up conversation and Mm -hmm. negotiation made me appreciate a different level of communication that can and probably should happen in all relationships even if you're strictly sexually monogamous Mm -hmm. whereas I think you know, going back to what Brian Up had said, you know, we don't have this training. Whereas I think for me, like going and interviewing people who were in open relationships and negotiated their rules for doing that, that yeah. was like a sort of boot camp. It was like a training for yeah. honesty in relationships. Because so I was thinking, wow, you know, it's kind of blowing my mind. Right. They're able to talk so openly about other lovers and other partners which is not easy for human beings to do because jealousy can can get in the way um so i think that was this incredible intense training for me you know just seeing how other people were able to communicate about potentially difficult things Mm -hmm. and and i thought right (laughs)
0: yeah yeah well they can do it
1: yeah exactly yeah
0: Yeah. good yeah well i hope that other people reading the book I I feel like uh, you know again myself kind of what reading your journey and you know reading the situations that you were going through and then you know you kind of reflect in the book about things I'm like oh yeah like I've done that or you know do I do <laughs> that so yeah so it's a really it's a really great you know it's it's entertaining to read but then it also yeah kind of makes you think about yourself so I'm enjoying <laughs> that. Um, all right. Well, we've been talking for a bit. So before we go on too long, we do have a few questions that people were kind enough to submit. Hey. Um, bah, bah, bah. Okay, so this is from a friend of yours, Ian, who's in Seattle. Hi, Ian.
1: I hope hey. it's okay in
0: Seattle. <laughs> it's supposed to be very hot in the, North, or the Pacific Northwest right now, so I hope he's okay. okay. Um, so his first question is, did you have any other thoughts on the book title? And if so, what did you consider?
1: Um, Well, not really, because The Breakup Monologues was the title of my podcast already, and so I was keen to continue with that branding and so people would associate the podcast and the book because even though they're different and the breakup Monologues book is very much more concerned with my own story and it does weave in some highlights from the interviews from the podcasts and some kind of science and psychology Mm -hmm. Um, it very much contains my own story whereas if you listen to the podcast I really let my guests Do much of the talking. I mean, I sort of gently probe them for the funniest (laughs) and most interesting stories uh, in my kind of spoofy relationship therapist role. But I don't tell my story that much. So um, they are slightly different things, but I wanted there to be a real continuity and a relationship and association between the two things. So I didn't really think too much about the title, although we did have quite long discussions about the subtitle which is the unexpected joy of heartbreak Mm -hmm. and there were quite a few options that um that flew around for that one of mine that my girlfriend suggested that i liked was how breakups keep us together Mm. because the book is kind of about staying together um, and how we've learned from our breakups in order to ultimately be able to stay in a relationship so i quite liked that one and how they keep us together you know emotionally mentally and how how it's been this learning experience but in the end that's a phrase that uses the heading of the conclusion to the book instead of the one to the whole book
0: good well i'm glad it's in there because i do like that too that's that's a nice you know little play on words and really yeah this is the book all right second question from ian is how has social media and technology altered dating and relationships this is a big question <laughs>
1: oh yeah well Ian. yeah it really has changed uh dating and relationships and we've kind of touched on this already in our discussion about how you know it's it's kind of made it a lot easier for people to meet and facilitated romantic relationships but also it can make them seem disposable it can seem a bit like um you know looking for a new lover is just like ordering a pizza (laughs) so um uh, and it can feel a bit like a game, as as we said earlier. So it does mean that it's facilitated these slightly more abrupt types of endings than we would culturally have seen a decade or more ago. So, mm-hmm. you know, personally, I think there's been, been a mixed bag. There are good and bad things. And again, quoting my friend Nikki Hodgson, um, dating expert from over here in the UK, she said, we don't yet have a code of conduct for dating apps, but maybe that would be a good thing to do.
0: Yeah. Yes. We, we can't always be held accountable by ourselves. So sometimes we need someone else to do it, I think. Uh, all right. And then we have uh, one more from at Cooper Lee B on Twitter asks, how do you think we can normalize a culture conversation about friendship breakups? Just going back to friendship breakups.
1: Yeah, well, Cooper, Cooper was actually a friend of mine. On I did a, a writing retreat at University of Southern California when I was oh. writing my first book, The yeah. Lambda Writers' Retreat, which was a fantastic experience, and we were tutored in nonfiction by Sarah Shulman, so hi, Cooper. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, as we touched on, there is a chapter in... St- in the book about friendship breakups, because I think it's not normalized yet. And I think we don't have this social script attached to it. But I hope that by opening up this discussion and by books like mine having sections about friendship breakups and episodes of my podcast talking about friendship breakups, I think we are getting there as well. Um, So, you know, I I think it really is just about talking about it and really anybody who is, you know, commentating on dating and relationships. I think we need to start looking at friendships as a sort of equal type of relationship and sort of do away with, well, another phrase that I use a lot in my first book is the currency of commitment. And I say, why don't we have a new currency of commitment where we shake up our value system because we, currently have this very overinflated value placed on romantic and erotic love yeah. over more platonic love. And that doesn't necessarily really illustrate everybody's experience of their different myriad connections that they experience. So I think Hoop is absolutely right that we do need to somehow have a different conversation about friendship breakups. And I, I hope <laughs> that with people like me talking about it, it's it's starting to happen.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always a slow process that change to, to come about, but yes, hopefully, hopefully books like this and, you know, this could be the start of a breakup revolution, you know, now it's yes. like, well, Rosie did it. We're just going to keep it going. So <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think that was, I think that's all our audience questions, but thank you everyone for submitting your questions. Always makes it a little more fun. Um, and that's, that's kind of all my questions. Um, if you had to, if you hope there's one big takeaway from this book when people read it, what would you say, what do you hope it is for readers?
1: Um, I would say that that you're not alone. Um, I think you'll find there are lots of stories from other people, from other comedians and writers, from all points on the sexuality spectrum from different ages different cultural backgrounds and so on so you're definitely not alone if you're going through a breakup and i hope that's the big sort of warm hug that you take away from the book but also that there might be better things around the corner it could be an opportunity it could be a new beginning as opposed to an end
0: beautiful very well said all right well Thank you everyone for tuning in and watching this episode. Uh, we were talking to Rosie Wilby, author of The Breakup Monologues, this lovely book here. Um, again, if you are interested in purchasing a copy, uh, we encourage you to go to the crowded bookshelf, or excuse me, crowded-bookshelf.com. That dash is going to throw me off. We have lovely bookmarks to give you with your book, as well Ooh. as signed book plates that are on their way. Uh, so, yeah, um, pick up your book get some knowledge about breakups, friend breakups, start a conversation. And, uh, yeah. All right, Rosie, thank you so much for being here. It has been a pleasure talking to you. I look forward to reading the rest of your book and listening to your podcast. Um, we'll, we'll let you get back to your evening since this evening for you there.
1: It is. <laughs> and I hope you have a, a good day there.
0: It's looking like a good day so far. So, all right. Well, you take care and, uh, well hopefully we'll get to talk to you for your next book.
1: Oh brilliant. Okay. <laughs> All <right>. Take care. <laughs> Thank you.